Coming up on today's show... I work with casts of 18 to 20 plus people from all different countries. They may speak five, six different languages, but when it comes to the music and the dance and the show, we all speak that same language. Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Get in touch with me by writing to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you can DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, my guest is a music director and producer, recording and performing artist, and songwriter who has a new EP coming out this Friday, January 19th. She is also part of a duo act and the co-founder of Minx and Maestro Productions, which we will hear about today. In addition, she has held the position of specialist of vocal casting and music production with Royal Caribbean Entertainment after music and vocal directing for them for almost nine years. She is also the creator of The Journey, a new indie musical, and has been an active performer in bands, piano bar, and theater for over 20 years. She holds a bachelor's degree in vocal performance from Berklee College of Music and a master's degree in music production from Berklee Online, having graduated with a 4.0 GPA. She was the recipient of the award for Outstanding Graduate Student of the Class of 2022, as well as the Isotope Award, which honors innovation in music production. You've been hearing a song of hers called Pandora. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Kristen Long. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Thank you so much for making time to talk with me today. Wow. I thought that I never have any downtime, but you are just (laughs) so, so super busy. So I'm glad to be able to get this in. Let's get started by having you share with the audience first about the song of yours that was just playing called Pandora. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Pandora. That was a song that I wrote about six years back when I was exiting my second marriage and really diving into sort of what got me there in the first place, right? And this song, it's a story. So it tells us, you know, we are, sometimes we're curious about things, sometimes we're naive about things, and we seek situations of maybe a little bit of danger, right? Mm. And that's sort of what my first 15 years of adulthood looked like. <laughs> so um, so I wrote this song. I was at Royal Caribbean at the time, and I picked up my guitar. And I know the production that we have is quite dense, but I wrote it just on my acoustic guitar. So how was that for you emotionally, writing that song, given what you just described to us that it's about? Well, I've written a lot of music about that time in my life. And this one... Actually, emotionally writing it was good because it was really a self-reflection. A lot of the other music that I've written in time, you know, is about sort of the things that have happened. But this one was more of a self-reflection. You know, what are the choices that I've made? What is my culpability in all of this? Mm. So it was a good 
look in the mirror. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. As I mentioned in the intro, this Friday, January 19th, you've got a brand new EP coming out. I won't steal your thunder, Kristen. I know this is an exciting time. So go ahead and share all about this release because I know there's a lot surrounding this project. Yes, there's a lot surrounding this project. I actually did this project as my final master's culminating project. I guess you could equate it to a thesis if you were going for something that wasn't music production. And this was many, many years in the making. The oldest song on there was written in 2004. Mm. And then the newest song on there was actually Pandora, written in, like I said, about six years ago or so. And it really summed up that entire not just chapter but that entire book in my life and I know we've all gone through stuff everybody's gone through life and have had experiences that they may wish otherwise but then if you look at those experiences and learn from them and can create a thread and some art from it I think that that's you know the way to go so it was definitely an emotional journey shall we say putting this together, but I was really excited to do it art for art's sake, you know, and I was able to utilize some really, really neat tools to do it justice. It's very much an EP that isn't just about the songs and the sonic structure and the lyrics. It also incorporates some of the actual artwork that some of the songs were written in conjunction with. So the sound of the artwork, I managed to pull the sound waves from the light frequency waves and weave them into a couple of the songs. So that was really fun. Mm, Wow. And you also helped me with this. You made a bamboo flute sound like electric guitar. I sure did. So in Pandora, in fact, was the song that I did that. So I knew in the instrumental breakdown, the bridge, I wanted like a distorted electric guitar, very Pink Floyd-like, and I just wasn't finding the sound that Mm. I wanted. I just couldn't find that expression that I was looking for. And wind instruments tend to have a little bit more of a singer expression Mm. to them because of the bends and because you're using your breath to make the sound. So my amazing partner, Mr. Will Fink, who plays like every instrument you can imagine. (laughs) He put down a bamboo flute line that I then went and took Isotope Trash 2. They stopped making it, which I'm devastated about, Mm. but it's such a great plugin. But I took and I warped the sound and put all sorts of delay and distortion and saturation on it and timed it the way that I wanted it timed. And brought it to a place where I was happy with the sound. And it definitely sounds well more like an electric guitar than ever a bamboo flute. (laughs) So what are some other examples? Because you said that you create new sounds with unexpected tools, unexpected instruments. What else besides what you just described with the bamboo flute? Yeah. So some of my percussion in Sharpest Knife, the second track, was made from a machete. Mm. So, yeah, (laughs) I mean, sharpest knife, we have to sort of use that, right? (laughs) Practice what you preach. (laughs) Exactly. And also there's a part in there where I laid down some really, really crunchy harmonies and then utilized Melodyne and some other plugins to make it sound almost like a scary 
circus organ. Mm. And that's sort of in the background there for Sharpest Knife. So I did that. And, you know, in subsequent productions, I've done the same, you know, recently with my friend, uh, we sampled the machete also at the same time as the bottom of a stool, the metal part. Mm. She hit it with a drumstick while I was hitting clavs at the same time. And we made some percussion for a new track that we are going into. So that and then making the flutes sound how I want them to taking the human voice and making it sound like it's not even a human voice anymore and more of a atmospheric sound effect. So I really enjoy playing with sound waves and the structure of sound and saturation and and just really taking it and sculpting it into new and interesting sounds I've not heard before. And for the record, just so the audience knows, you mentioned guitar before, but you play guitar and piano both, yes? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to get a clarification from you. When you say that this was your final project for Berkeley, for your master's project, do they tell you this is what you have to do, or do you just kind of have the the license to say, well, I'm going to record a bunch of songs and ultimately release it as an EP, and that will be my project. How does something that is a commercial effort for you get to be also, this is what I get to do as my master's project? Right. That's an interesting question, because this was something that actually was a little bit of a point of contention. Mm. I have another project in the works called Mandy and the Jam Fam, And that is a cartoon, music-centric. And what I had wanted to do when I entered the program was to do a basically five-minute or so pitch trailer or even the audio for the pilot episode or some of the songs for that Mm -hmm. as my final project. However, that wasn't really what they were looking for. They wanted specifically a four-song EP, but being me, naturally, I wasn't happy with just the four. (laughs) Honestly, in this particular one, the four didn't wrap up the story how Mm. I needed it to. So five it was. And so, you know, I was a little upset at first that my master plan didn't go as I had wanted it to. But then I took a step back and said, you know what, this EP is something that I can do now. And then I can sort of put this chapter of my life to bed. It's the same content that I wrote the journey about. And the journey was amazing. But again, it was me directing others, singing the music and putting the show together, whereas this was fully my own. And I could make it sound exactly like I wanted to. And not only that, is I could tell the story in a true, honest and concise way. Yeah. So we were required to do an EP. Uh, I see. I was going to do something else, but... We were required to do an EP, whether it was for another artist, producing for another artist, which most people did, mm -hmm, or like for yourself. And the reason I went into the music production program, while I do love producing other artists these days, wasn't for that reason. It was so that I could be liberated from any constraints in producing my own material. And on that note, I do want you to share with the audience who this was overseen by, because he's got some good credentials of his own. Yes, I got to spend two semesters having this overseen by uh, Mr. Sean Slade, producer of, I guess, the most well-known. He's done some amazing work. I would say the most well-known would be Creep by Radiohead. He was just absolutely amazing to work with, extremely supportive, very much enjoyed my sort of left of center artistic vision, which was really nice because 
my music isn't what I would say would be like normal, not necessarily super radio hit, whatever, but it's very artistic. And he really enjoyed that. And he really encouraged me to trust my instincts and let me know that my instincts were right on. And after having spent almost 10 years living in Southern Alabama, I had actually really stopped trusting my musical instincts. Mm. Yeah. So it really was validating and he's just brilliant. And so it was an amazing experience. Yeah, in my opinion, for whatever that's worth, I think it does lend a lot of prestige when a guest comes on my show and talks about having attended Berkeley, whether in person or online. Kristen, just to do a little background setting for a lot of what we're going to be hearing going forward, in the intro, I read off some impressive highlights relative to your accomplishments education-wise. Just talk about your experience going through all of that. Oh, yeah, it was great. Of course, I attended Berkeley back in the day for my <laughs> bachelor's for vocal performance. I had always knew I wanted to be a singer. I mean, I played piano as well at the time, not enough to accompany myself in gigs. That happened after I left Berkeley mm. the first time. But I knew I wanted to be a singer. Now, I had in high school, I had applied to a bunch of music programs. I was classically trained since the age of 13. Uh. But I wasn't accepted into any of the programs I applied to. Mm. Yep, I was accepted into the University of Hartford, though I had like amazing grades and had done states and had really worked hard. My voice took a while to grow into itself, both physically my voice and just my point of view. So I went to the University of Hartford for a year and I was allowed to take classes at the Hart School, but I was not part of the Hart School of Music. And then I transferred to Berkeley and my whole world changed. Mm. You know, though I wasn't accepted into the music program at University of Hartford, in my classes, it was a cakewalk because they put me in classes that things that I had known since I was four <laughs> years old. I knew how to read music before I knew how to read words. Wow. I just felt like it wasn't challenging to me. And so I like to be challenged. And so I transferred to Berkeley and it was everything. I got to study all the different kinds of music because I knew I didn't want to be a classical singer for the rest of my life. I love singing that way, but I had something to say. I had something in my soul. I didn't know what it was yet, but I had it. And I had to find the voice to get that across. And And going to Berkeley and being around all those other amazing musicians and studying with the people I was able to study with and being able to continue my opera training, but also study the blues and also study jazz. And mm. then I lived with some string players and I, you know, got to jam with all the bluegrass guys all the time in, in Cambridge and uh, really unlearn my classical training to then <laughs> relearn all of the other stuff. And I was told I would never have like a belt in my voice, like strength, uh. because I was originally coloratura soprano. And so I said, well, you say I can't, so watch, <laughs> watch me. me. <laughs> I'm going to, yes. <laughs> so that was amazing. And then, you know, all these years later, I had wanted to get my master's degree for years, but life got in the way, right? And then COVID happened, and I said, well, it's now or never. And so I knew after all these years doing this, I knew, A, how much it cost to be in the studio, B, mm. that I 
at this point knew that I had a good ear for sound and for mixing just from all my time with Royal and live mixing the vocals there and mm. other directors and other casts and other companies asking me if I could come in and mix their live shows. So I knew I had an ear for sound at that point and I loved it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go for music production. This is what I'm going to go for. I'm going to learn how to just simply do it myself. I know what I want to hear. I just need the tools to get there. Bravo. So it was awesome. Bravo. Yeah, thank you. And the people that I, I mean, I got to study with Susan Rogers of Prince. Like, I mean, just the people <laughs> I got to study with was just like, it was beyond. And they were all amazing and happy to share their knowledge, which I think is so incredibly important. There's so many gatekeepers in this industry. And I find that it's those who, you know, are willing to share that are even more excited about like what they're even doing. So, mm. by the way, before we get too far away from it, because I know I'm about to go in a different direction, but since we're still talking about Berkeley, I can work in one more question about the EP. The title of the EP, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, is the Kiki Caravaggio Affair. Where does that name come from? Correct. So, because I wove the music and the art together, Caravaggio, the artist, and Alice Prin, Kiki de Montparnasse. I'm definitely not saying it correctly, <laughs> but I'm not French. But she was a artist muse and also a nightclub singer and also an actress. Caravaggio, the artist, he had a lot of issues. He was a violent man. He murdered somebody. His mm. art, it was quite religious, but also quite dark. Now, where this particular EP was born from was honestly it was born from my first marriage i married a man who was a boxer slash tortured artist his art was the most beautiful part about him but it was also quite dark mm. it was some of that art that i wove into this and i was his muse artistically he was my muse musically mm. and that is a dangerous combination and so the kiki caravaggio affair to me it is what would happen if you put those two <laughs> together? And pretty much is, this is what would have happened. I like right? that. <laughs> yeah. Very creative. Yeah. And because it is very much music meets art, I know not everybody knows who these people are, but they are quite famous in the art world. And, you know, this EP is more than just the music. It truly is the artwork. And I wanted for... That husband has since passed away, but I wanted the one redeeming quality, I guess I would say. <laughs> he was a very violent man. He was a very, very violent man. But I wanted that one redeeming quality, the thing that really was what I was attracted to and the thing that kept us together, our music and our art, to be able to live on mm. and to be able to have a voice in this project. He had so many things about him that were just absolutely beautiful and stunning. He was just extremely mentally ill and extremely violent. Mm. But I wouldn't have been with him if I didn't see a light there. Sure. So I wanted that part of him to be honored wow. and to live on. Wow. Nicely yes. done. Nicely done. Very creative audience. You're hearing there's so many different layers to this EP. By the way, audience, Peter Martin, the guest on last week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, did something very innovative recording an album that just came out on December 1st with all the songs done straight through, one take, without edits, all while being live streamed. And then he turned the album into an interactive online course. If you did not hear that, 
go back and listen to my interview last week with Peter Merton on episode 517. Kristen, you started to mention a couple of different locations. I introduced you as calling in from Fort Lauderdale, but in fact, you have lived in a few different places, a few different states. Correct. Yes. Yes. I grew up just southeast of Boston. So I'm a New England girl and, you know, lived in the city for a while. After college, I moved to New York. I moved to the Bronx with a boyfriend of mine at the time and his family. In fact, it's funny, through him, I was able to meet, I'm sure everybody remembers Digital Underground and Shock G and Humpty Hump. Well, my boyfriend at the time was his cousin. So I got to meet him and what an amazing talent he was. So that was really cool. And then I moved down to South Florida in Fort Lauderdale with my first husband. And then after that was over, I moved to the Gulf Coast of Alabama, Gulf Shores, with my second husband, a drummer. And once that was over, (laughs) I moved back down here to South Florida. I had been coming back down here to South Florida for quite a few years, even during that marriage when I lived in Alabama, because I was music directing with some regional theater companies and with Royal Caribbean. Mm. And I had some great gigs down here, too. So when I moved to the Gulf Coast, it was, first of all, it was a massive culture shock for me growing up in New England and, you know, living in New York and South Florida. Though South Florida is in the southern part of the country, it is far from the South. It is a whole world in its own. (laughs) And I met some amazing people, some of my best friends. And I, you know, created the journey while I was there. And I had, you know, my family there, my in-laws were absolutely amazing. My mother-in-law was extremely supportive, but the relationship just wasn't going to work out. So I ended up leaving. But more than anything, you know, though I did have a loyal following that enjoyed my music, and this is nothing against where I lived because I really did enjoy my time there, but I am more of a piano player than a guitar player, especially then. And my music tends to have a lot of feel changes, time signature changes. You know, it's not straightforward, if that makes sense. So I wasn't necessarily received well Mm, (laughs) on the Gulf Coast. I mean, I started my band Long Lost Friend and it was great. And like I said, we did have a loyal group of supporters, but, you know, the songwriters festivals and everything like they wouldn't accept me into them. And Mm -hmm. that definitely did a number on my, you know, self-worth and self-confidence. And when I left there, I was convinced that I was the worst songwriter that ever there was. Well, and thus your statement before about how great it felt to have Sean Slade work with you and say the things to you that he did that did give you that boost of confidence, but also that reassurance of, I thought so. I just, I don't know why these other people made me feel the way they did this other location, because I love what I do. And thank you for saying that, Sean, because I do like the product that I put out. So it sounds like South Florida was meant for you to be there for a reason. And who knows, maybe you had to go through that Gulf Coast experience for a reason. The fact of the matter is that present day, you're happy, you're thriving. In fact, your new EP comes out this Friday. It's exciting for you for obvious reasons. 
but also because your last release was a seven-song EP in 2016 titled Gypsy Soul, which is ironic because that's the name of the duo act that I interviewed way back on episode 115 more than seven years ago, Gypsy Soul. And before that release, you had put out an album called Shoebox Memories in 2012, which you say was actually recorded 10 years earlier. As our conversation goes along... The audience is going to get an appreciation for how truly busy you stay. Is that the reason for these gaps in between releases and why Shoebox Memories took so long to come out? Or is it maybe releasing EPs and albums is not the priority for me that it is for other recording artists? I would say both. Shoebox Memories took so long to come out because I was involved in an extremely abusive marriage. That's the Mm long and short of it. I met him not long after I recorded that album. And then I just became isolated and my whole world became extremely small for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And then I just didn't feel as if I connected with it anymore because life had changed so drastically. And then finally, I was convinced by my family to, you know, just put it out there. Mm -hmm. It's who you were before all of this. So just go ahead and release it. So for me, it was very much an emotional decision and a decision that was sort of taken from me for a long time by Mm. that situation. And then financially, you know, it's expensive to record albums. So once I got the gig with Royal Caribbean, I was able to afford myself to go to the studio and record again which I was so excited to do for Gypsy Soul. And it was such a great experience in Austin, Texas. And it was great. The engineer and producer of the album was a friend of mine that I grew up with back in Bridgewater and who had a studio now in Austin. Uh, Yeah, he was a couple years ahead of me, but he was really great. And then it's piano, vocal, cello, and drums. And my second husband, Walt Brewer, was on the drums. And my college roommate, Rushad Eggleston, was on the cello. So it was a nice putting three worlds together experience. And then, yeah, I was just so busy between that and this next one that I just didn't even have time to think about it. And I was compiling new material. And, you know, a lot of songwriters write massive amounts of material all the time. I write a lot, but I very much am slower in crafting my songs. I have to go through the whole experience first Mm. before I can really sit down and look at it and craft a piece of work when it came to it. And plus, I was also doing my musical at the time, The Journey. And so that took precedence for quite a while. But yes, definitely. I look forward to releasing more and more music now, whereas now I can produce it myself. Ah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So let's start getting into some of these other projects that you're involved with. In the intro, I said that you are part of a duo act and that you're the co-founder of Minx and Maestro Productions. What is Minx and Maestro Productions? And then the duo act, which is called the Minx and the Maestro, is there original (laughs) music recorded and released? Is it the same style of music that you do as a solo act? Who's your duo partner? Give us all the details on the production company and the duo act. Yes. Okay. So the duo act is where it started. It's myself and my partner, Mr. Will Fink. And he is somebody that I met in Pensacola, in fact, playing dueling pianos. And we were friends and played music together for multiple years. And after I was divorced and life had moved on, we ended up 
getting together, which has been amazing. He's wonderful, patient, kind. He's all of the things that you would want in a partner. And musically, he is like the most amazing partner. And so we play live. Like I said, we started playing dueling pianos. We play every Sunday at Casablanca Cafe in Fort Lauderdale, and we do all requests. We do both original and cover music. Ah. He is the, in the Kiki Caravaggio Affair EP, he is the other person in here. He's the flute player. He's the person who put the guitar down. Like he's, it was he and I, the whole EP was he and I. So with Minx and Maestro Productions, we do so many things. We produce, we write, we've created a cartoon. We do band charts. We, We teach, we direct, we do all of it. And so we had to sort of at some point put all of these things under an umbrella (laughs) of one company. But yes, he is my partner in crime. He's the co-founder. He is the person who is, you know, the other musical voice on most of my newer productions. Sure, sure. Yeah, all good stuff. All good stuff. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, by music director and producer, recording and performing artist, I'm going to add in songwriter, singer, multi-instrumentalist, Kristen Long. (laughs) Visit her official website at kristenlongmusic.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. You heard her talking about her new EP, The Kiki Caravaggio Affair, which comes out this Friday, January 19th. Purchase that release from her website or from Apple Music and all online digital music retailers. At the bottom of KristenLongMusic.com, you will see logos that you can tap or click on to link over to her Facebook music page, her Instagram account, and her official YouTube channel. Plus, there is a Spotify link there as well, so do give her a follow on Spotify. You also heard Kristen talk about Minx and Maestro Productions. I will put a link on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net, for the website for that as well. Let me tell you once again that the following is not a sponsor. They are not paying me to talk about them, but here's a great example of why I talk about them all the time. Recently, someone called me on the OWL app. That's OWL like the bird, except with two W's and two L's. This was a great connection for us both. She had questions about a podcast she's planning to start, And I, in turn, invited her to write a guest blog for my website from time to time, since she's already doing that regularly for her own site. In fact, with the OWL app, you typically start off with a 10-minute phone call to someone. And remember, the privacy element is that you're calling each other through the app, so you're not giving out your phone number. But you can add time if the call is going well and you want to talk longer than 10 minutes. So in the case of this conversation I'm referring to, she kept asking me if she could add more time. I was available, so I said yes, and we ended up talking for 60 minutes, six zero, one hour. Make powerful new connections like that for yourself and your career. Here's how. On my podcast website, nhte.net, tap or click anywhere it says home, and then read the article I have posted there under the headline, Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away, to learn more about OWL. I've also got links in there for you to download the app for free from either the App Store or Google Play. Plus, you will see my invitation code, which is a required field as you're setting up the app on your phone. Get on OWL and start on your way to making great new connections for your career. 
Kristen, there's something you mentioned to me in the lead-up to today, and you briefly started to go there earlier. I didn't mention it in the intro. That is Mandy and Jam Fam. Just take us deeper into exactly what that is. Yes, so that is a animated children's series that I have created and developed. Now we are still in the funding stage, but we are to the point where we have several scripts, multiple songs fully produced, and a full pitch trailer with the artwork and all of that. And so it follows Miss Mandy Mandolin and her family, the Jam Fam, as she goes through just what regular kids go through. And she uses the tools of music to help her and her friends you know, move through the cadences of life, really. It is a music-centric cartoon meant to hopefully inspire kids to pick up an instrument. It's meant to introduce kids to all different music, all different cultures, and understanding that in music, our differences are what makes it strong and better. You know, you can have a full band of trumpets, that's all well and good, but that doesn't really create a nice complex sound, right? Like it's much better to have a full band of different instruments than it is all of the same. And so it's really meant to celebrate the diversity that music is and that we have that one language. The characters are the musical instruments. They live in a town called Grand Staff USM, (laughs) United Scales of Music. (laughs) And it's really a very special project. As I said, we are still in the production partner funding stage of it, but I'm so excited about it. I really do believe that this could have a really great positive impact on kids. And it's funny, and it's meant to also, in the style of The Muppet Show, have jokes in there that the parents Uh. get. And the music isn't, you know, nothing wrong with wheels on the bus, but we're not doing that. You know, we are doing, like, music. We're not stripping it down. What inspired it was I was in the U.S. Virgin Islands where I was on tour with the Minx and the Maestro and also Transit Soul at the time. And my aunt and uncle have a place there. And my cousin was down with his family and kids. And they came to see the show. And they were so excited and requesting all this great music. And then we stayed, my partner Will and I stayed with my aunt and uncle the last night that we were there. And my cousin's kids were just enamored with him. And Will is an award-winning mandolin player as well. Mm. He was playing his mandolin and he was playing all the different instruments. And they were just so excited. This was a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And they were just so excited. And they kept requesting amazing music, like (laughs) me and Julio down in the schoolyard. And just, Uh. you know, music that was that you wouldn't think a four-year-old was going to request. And what that said to me was, okay, you know what, kids like good music. It's that simple. Kids like good music. And they like what they hear that has a groove that makes them, you know, move their feet and want to dance. And I was seeing a lot of material out there that wasn't necessarily that. There's a lot of material out there that's great and that, but I didn't see a show. First of all, I didn't see any show that used musical instruments as its characters. Secondly, you know, the shows that did incorporate music a lot were geared toward preschool 
And what I wanted to do was make a show that was more geared toward the five to 10 year old range, because when mm -hmm. it comes down to it, that's when we start playing music, mm. right? That's when we actually start picking up an instrument. That's when we start developing our ear and our palate. And, you know, what we hear in that critical period, what we are exposed to is the music that we more likely gravitate toward as we grow. If we're not exposed to it as a kid, then we have a more hard time grasping it when we are older. And also, if a kid does pick up a musical instrument and take lessons for any length of time within that period, they really, scientifically proven, grow more gray matter in their brain. Musicians' brain is a real, scientifically proven, true thing. And that can stay with you even if you stop playing. If you take those lessons when you're a kid, you simply grow a larger brain. Wow. It's wow. that simple. And it helps with everything. And so my goal with Mandy and the Jam Fam was to bring music and instruments that kids may not be exposed to otherwise into their homes in a digestible and relatable way and for them to relate to these characters just like their other kids. Because I know that when I was little, music was the thing that I related to the most. Music was the thing that got me through. Music was everything to me. And I know that there were a lot of other people like that in this world. Uh, so I wanted to sort of bring that to fruition in a way that, you know, really encapsulated everything that it was to me. And then also all these years at Royal Caribbean, you know, I work with casts of 18 to 20 plus people. They may be from all different countries. They may speak five, six different languages. Mm. That's all well and good. But when it comes to the music and the dance and the show, we all speak that same language and we somehow pull off these amazing productions <laughs> in a very short amount of time, even if we can't speak the same language. And to me, that's what it is. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be as humans. We're supposed to appreciate mm. the differences between us and, you know, celebrate them. That's such a powerful message that I would love to say. Kristen, thanks for being on the show today. Great to meet you. But I have other questions, but that's powerful. That's really a nice way to kind of wrap up that little package that is Mandy and Jam Fam. I do want to also hear about this musical that I referred to back in the intro that you have created called The Journey. Yes, yes, yes. The Journey was something that I put together while I lived in Alabama. And as I said, I did have a set group of loyal, not just fans, but also people that I worked with. I got involved in the theater community there and met my partner in crime for the journey, Chase Morissette, who did the dialogue and the book for it, whereas I did the music. And I wrote some of the music with my band, Long Lost Friend. But it's definitely a semi-autobiographical musical. It was my first attempt at a healing project from my first marriage. Mm. It was definitely that. We did some amazing productions. We did a concert production down in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh -huh. We did the New Orleans Fringe Festival, which wow. was amazing with a whole group of local actors and singers and then some others who actually came up from Florida to be in it who had been in the concert production. We workshopped it in New York City. Mm. And then we did a full production in Miami Beach. Wow. And I want to say that was in 2000. It might have been 2015, or I don't even remember at this point, but it was later on. It was, yeah, it was, I believe, 2016. And that's when I had to put it down because it just got to be a little too close for comfort for uh, me. But I see. 
it was an amazing experience. And the thing about it was, especially after the Fringe production, you know, it's a heavy musical. It's got some great music. It takes place in New Orleans. It's fun, but it's also heavy and it's raw and it's true and it's honest. And the line of people that came up to me after with just tears in their Mm. eyes and just saying like, you know, I felt like I was seen to me that was what it was all about. Yes, it drew upon my own experiences, but like for others to connect their experiences with it and to feel so deeply about it, that was so rewarding. And the people that were involved in it, this was the most beautiful part. It got like a little cult following, but the people who were involved in it, whether they were in it as actors or musicians, they all wanted to continue to be part of it. And that was so beautiful. Like to me, that was amazing. That last production in Miami Beach, it was a lot. I was working at Royal at the time, and I was also gigging because I was co-producing it as well. So, you know, that all costs money. And I lost the director. He got into some legal trouble, so we we (laughs) lost him. Okay, so now two of the folks that had been involved with it since the beginning and I, we ended up co-directing it. And then the lead actress, while she was brilliant, Again, this is a very, very heavy material, and, and she just wasn't able to go there at that point mm-hmm. just yet for herself, and that's okay. But whereas we were less than a week out of opening, I had to step into the role, and I never, mm. ever, ever intended to play the role. Wow. Because I lived it. I yeah. didn't want to live it again yeah. <laughs> in front of people. But that meant that I also then had to step away from the piano and leading the band. So somebody who had been involved, my good friend, Duke Pendleton, he had been involved since the very beginning. He flew down from Nashville and took over at the piano and Mm. I stepped into the role. And I'll be honest, I had to put it down because at the time I was still married to my second husband and he was supposed to be the drummer, (laughs) whereas, you know, he was part of the original band. And, you know, he was struggling with addiction and he ended up having to go into rehab Mm. at the very last minute. And therefore, I had to find a new drummer at the last minute. I had to put everything together at the last minute. And that's, I mean, that is what it is. But then to have to play this role that was revisiting the time that I was with my first husband, who was an abusive addict. (laughs) Well, my second husband had just gone into rehab. It felt yeah. very hypocritical to me and it really did a number on me yeah, emotionally. Sure. Yeah. So I had to put it down for a while after Understandable. that. Yeah, I picked the material back up in a way. Only a couple of the songs on the EP were actually in the musical, but I revisited it for the EP. And from the category of, but wait, there's more. (laughs) I won't have you talk about the song just yet. I'll do that at the end just before I play it. But the closing song today will be by the Hipsy Sisters. I'm guessing that that's a duo act. So in addition to the Minx and the Maestro duo act. But tell me if I'm right on that or if it's maybe three Hipsy Sisters and who this is, how and when it got started and where it has come to. Yes, that is definitely a duo act comprised of myself and my best friend, Melissa Joyner, who I believe may have been a guest on the show before. Yes, we started that group back in 2016. We got together, we wrote songs, and we went on a small tour. It was her first tour, but it was up the East Coast, and we got to play at the Bitter End in New York, and we played in Cape Cod and Provincetown, and We just enjoy writing and playing music together so much. And then, you know, we lived away from each other. 
but we still got together and played music. We went to Barcelona and played music there. And we've, you know, always made sure to just stay not just in touch. I mean, she's my best friend, but in touch musically as well. And so it started there as two people who felt like they just didn't fit in and didn't have Mm. necessarily the voice that they wanted to have. And it's grown into, we don't get together all the time, but it's grown into something that we feel so very proud of. You know, it grew from two people, like I said, who didn't feel like they had a voice and who are very vulnerable in their approach to their music to now this new track, which is well more confident, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Confident, we've both grown so much as people. And while we don't tour all the time together, when we do, it's amazing. (laughs) And when we do get together, we make some pretty great music. I'm sure. I'm sure. Melissa's awesome. And audience, I will put a link on the show page for Kristen's episode on my podcast website, nhte.net, to what she's referring to. So you can go back and listen to me talking to Melissa Joyner. And if everything we've talked about today isn't enough, as we have heard a couple times, and I said it in the intro also, you also work with Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. In fact, I believe you just started directing a show for them at the start of January, and there are rehearsals for that six days a week. My gosh. Tell us about all your work with Royal Caribbean. Correct. Yes. So with Royal, I just started music directing a show called Silk Road. And it is on Spectrum of the Sea. So it's only over in Asia. It's out of Singapore. But I've been with Royal now for about, I guess, nine years. And I started as a vocal director, as everybody starts on like the smallest ship. And I loved it. Royal has done a lot for me in terms of affording me financial stability, which has been great. Also, you know, they sort of throw you into the fire and where you have to run the sound during rehearsals and stuff. And so that's where I really got my footing for sound as well. And I ended up coming back from COVID, moving into the position as the vocal casting specialist. So I got to hire the singers for quite a while as well. I couldn't be kept in an office, just it didn't end up being for me, just because I am a creative and being in an office really was tough for me. But it was a great gig. I really enjoyed it. And so now I'm back to directing. I would much rather be on the ground floor working with the singers, coaching the singers, bringing this music and these shows to life. And yeah, so I've met some amazing people, some amazing talent. And it's been really a great experience with them. I really appreciate them. Clarify this for me then. You said the name of the ship and you said, I believe it's over in Asia. So do you go on the sailings or you just do all the rehearsals and the training in the Miami area and then you stay put while they go off and perform at sea? I do both. It just depends. It's contractor. So I'm an independent contractor. So I sort of, you know, pick my projects for what's available at the time. And so I do work with them in the rehearsal studio. And then if it works out with my schedule, normally in the summertime, I'm able to go on to the ships. And what I do on the ships is then I work with the technical team and we get the show up and running. And it's my responsibility to make sure the sound integrity is there. And the singers and the musicians 
sound amazing. And so, yeah, I've managed to be all over the world <laughs> at this point. Wow. So it's been pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Royal Caribbean. My wife and I went on a Royal Caribbean cruise at the beginning of December 2022. And we went on a Royal Caribbean cruise for our honeymoon back in June of 2016. So I have only good things to say about Royal. As we get ready to start wrapping up, I must say I am a real workaholic, but I think I've met my match. (laughs) (laughs) Yet, while I run Now Hear This Incorporated, and of course, doing this podcast falls under that umbrella, you just wear all kinds of hats, as we heard today. No one can put you in a box and just slap one label on you and say, oh yeah, Kristen Long, the singer, sure, I know her, she's great. Yeah, you know, it's just, I guess, been the way I've always been. I go into something, I put my everything into it. And then I feel like there's that next mountain to climb. It's like, well, if I can do this, well, maybe I could do that too. Like, or then maybe I can do this. And I've just sort of done that my whole life and have gathered all these experiences and all this knowledge and these tools and have managed to make it work for myself. And I'll be honest, when it comes to producing, which is really my true love, I had no idea that this was going to be the medium that I really felt most comfortable and most at home and adept at. It incorporates all of it. It incorporates my vocal coaching as I'm producing other singers. It incorporates my musicianship, my direction, my sound work. It incorporates everything. And I really, really, truly love it. So my aim is to really make that my main gig for these next several years. Wow. But yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like we're so capable as humans and we have so much potential and the only limits that we have are the ones that we place on ourselves. So I placed limits on myself for long enough when I was married. (laughs) I'll never do that again. Mm. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, kind of jokingly corrected myself as I was going through and added on multi-instrumentalist and singer, but all those different hats that you wear, you know, whether you're writing, you're performing, you're producing, you're directing, helping other artists, helping songwriters, helping singers, you have just really kind of opened up that whole palette for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And the beautiful part is I still perform several nights a week and, you know, I still bring it back to like the OG, like what I loved doing in the first place, you know, and I love singing. I love singing. Like, I can't say I've ever had a time in my life that I didn't want to be singing. I encourage everybody, whether you are the best shower singer in the whole world, or even if you can't carry a tune, sing. (laughs) Sing at the top of your lungs. It (laughs) makes you feel good. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And so I feel very, very blessed that I'm able to continue performing while doing all of these other things that I've ventured into over the years as well. I love it. I love it. We're going to close today with a song performed by the Hipsy Sisters, one called Brick by Brick. Kristen, before I let you go and I play that track, share with the audience first all about this one, if you would, please. Yes, yes. So this is a song that originally was written by Melissa Joyner. She came over to my house in southern Alabama, Fort Morgan, and was playing this. And I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. And so we made it a Hipsy Sisters song. We played it at the Bitter End in New York and very much a ballad. And I've been playing it for years now as a piano vocal ballad. But about three or four months ago, it just 
popped into my head. I said, you know, I really would like to take this track and make it into a more anthemic sort of dance track. Just, you know, we both had taken our power back at that point. Why don't we do that with this song? Because really, truly, it is about taking your power back, and especially in the time that we're at in women's rights, in not just women's rights, women's rights, gay rights, trans rights. There's so many rights being taken away that I feel like right now it's exceptionally poignant. It went from being a ballad about being hurt in a relationship to now being a song of strength about saying, you know what, you can take these things from me, but you will never take me. Mm. You might be able to take these these rights. You might be able to pass these laws. However, you will not take me. Wow. And that's what this song really has become. Mm. And I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of Melissa. We had so much fun producing it. And yeah. Bravo. Bravo. Kristen, wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for making time to be on the show. Congratulations on the new EP, and I appreciate you making time to be on Now Hear This Entertainment. Thank you so much, Bruce. It was wonderful to be here. Thank you again. My pleasure. My pleasure. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to music director and producer, recording and performing artist, singer, multi-instrumentalist, and songwriter Kristen Long. Do visit her official website at kristenlongmusic.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Remember, her new EP, The Kiki Caravaggio Affair, comes out this Friday, January 19th. Purchase that directly from Kristen's website or from the likes of Apple Music or other online digital music retailers. As I mentioned before, at the bottom of her website, you will find logos, links, for Kristen's social media. I have liked her music page on Facebook. I have followed her on Instagram. I know she would appreciate you doing the same. Subscribe to her YouTube channel, then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell her you heard her and her music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Be sure to also give her a follow on Spotify. And don't forget, on the show page for this episode on nhte.net, I'm also going to put a link to the website for Minx and Maestro Productions. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with Kristen and I. I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, what will be 10 years without missing once next month by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you will see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. That's going to do it for episode 518. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with a song from the Hipsy Sisters. This is the one Kristen just talked about. It's called Brick by Brick. Brick.